Ladies and gentlemen, this is America's Healthcare Advocate Show. Hello, America. Welcome to America's Healthcare Advocate Show. Separating fact from fiction. We're going to repeal it and replace it. And, and it'll be great health care for much less money. We can have the benefits that were promised to them without any change whatsoever. But if we keep kicking the can down the road, keep digging the hole deeper, burying that deficit more, that's much harder to keep that kind of a commitment. Broadcasting coast to coast across the USA. Assistant's calling from Kansas City, Missouri. Marcia from Pittsburgh. My very special guest today, Grace Marie Turner, president of the Galen Institute. Welcome back, Grace Marie. Well, Carrie, it's a pleasure to be with you. And I do have to say, you are the most knowledgeable about health policy. Just superlative. And now, ladies and gentlemen, America's healthcare advocate, Carrie Hall. Hello, America. Welcome to America's Healthcare Advocate Show, broadcasting coast to coast across the USA, 147 affiliates strong, thanks to all of you and our listening audience, and our newest affiliate in Keokuk, Iowa. We want to welcome them on board. Happy to have them as part of the broadcast. Our producer today is Mr. Joshua Pauley. I'm your host, Kerry Hall. This is your show, America. Thank you for joining us and making us one of the most listened to talk shows throughout the United States. We appreciate all your feedback, emails, phone calls, and the rest of it. We'd like to know what you think about what you're hearing. If you want to do that, the website is americashealthcareadvocate.com, americashealthcareadvocate.com, and the phone number if you do have questions about health insurance, health-related issues, or anything like that. Like that, operators are standing by 877-385-2224. You will not go on the air. We have guests in studio today, but we're happy to take your calls. We will get back to you after the broadcast. By the way, on those emails, I get a couple of hundred a day. So as I often say on this show, I don't answer each one of them the same day, but I do answer each and every one of them. So feel free to email us off the website, americashealthcareadvocate.com. And um, there are lots of videos up there. There's a lot of information up there on all kinds of issues. So it's a great place to go. It's a resource center. If you're looking at health insurance, if you're chronologically challenged like me, um, and you're a Medicare recipient, or you're an employer with 100 lives, 300 lives, five lives, whatever it may be, we can help you. Uh, Go to the website. We're happy to do so. All right, today's show. This is what I call one of our out-of-the-box shows because we aren't going to talk about health insurance today. Oh, listen to the audience breathe a sigh of relief there. Okay, <laughs> no. Joining me in studio today again are the folks from State Financial Officers Foundation. I have in studio the CEO, Derek Kreifels. Welcome, Derek. Thank you. In addition to that, uh, Allison Ball, Treasurer for the State of Kentucky. Welcome back, Allison. Thank you very much. You could probably just do this by yourself now. You've done how many of these? Four or five of these now? I think this is the third time. Oh, is it the third time? I thought we did more than that. So joining us for the first time, Grant Wallace, Deputy Treasurer for the State of Arkansas. Welcome, mm-hmm. Grant. Thank you for having me. And back again from the good state of Idaho, Ron Crane, Treasurer for the state. Welcome back, Ron. Terry, it's great to be with you. Well, first of all, I guess I better congratulate Allison because uh, she just took your position <laughs> and she is now the chairman chairperson, chairwoman, chair, however we're supposed National to do that. Chair. That's correct. Yeah, thank you very much. Of the State Financial Officers Foundation, so I don't know whether to congratulate you or say a prayer for you. I'm not <laughs> no, sure congratulations. which. Congratulations. Okay. Congratulations are in order. I've been the chairman of a couple of organizations. <laughs> you always wonder after you do it, what did I just get myself into? <laughs> so, but we're, we're great to have you as the new chairman and uh, congratulations. I, mean, I think it's a great opportunity for you and it's obviously great for SFOF. So, all right, Derek, let's, t- let's tell the folks a little bit about this organization. It's 26 states are involved in this now. And you know, it's funny, this, um, this, uh, this particular position of, of auditor or treasurer, uh, I found out at the, and we've been at the fall conference for the last four days, I found out that uh, this is one of the most trusted positions 
in-state government. So let's talk a little bit about that and what SFOF is. Sure, that's right, Carrie. Well, we're really appreciative of your show and, and, and the opportunity to be here. Um, you know, State Financial Officers Foundation is an organization that brings together uh, state treasurer, state auditors, state controllers across the country together, but from a free market perspective. So we, we look at uh, the, the issues that states are dealing with from a budget perspective, from a state pension perspective. Um, we all do different things, but some of us manage college savings accounts, unclaimed property. Um, but we, we unapologetically are looking at it through the filter of, of free market principles and, and fiscally conservative principles. Um, and so we're the only organization like that in the country. Um, and and what, what we are doing is so important because when we first started this, we, we did, a, we did a, a poll and we, we pulled the same question in several states. And we basically just asked, in your state, who do you trust most on fiscal matters? Um, and we gave uh, respondents the option of either their state treasurer, their governor, or their member of Congress. Um, and we're all looking, you know, as, as we say, the member of Congress obviously was, was the lowest, you know, usually uh, of course. coming in yeah. less than 10%. Yeah. Uh, uh, depending on, on the governor, was, it was average of around 20%. Uh, and then the, the treasurer usually ranked right up there between 66 and 72%. Well, that's pretty amazing, state. isn't it? Yeah. And so, so we realized that our state treasurers, these state auditors, they have a tremendous amount of, of power and, and, and a weight behind them when they do speak up on fiscal issues. And so our organization comes together. We bring members of the private sector together uh, to talk about some of these tough issues. And then we really encourage our state leaders to go back to their states and then be, uh, you know, flag carriers to, to, to advance, you know, these issues of, of free market values um, and to hold their governors accountable to and their, their legislators. legislators accountable uh, and, and frankly, their, their members of Congress uh, in their state delegation. And so um, we've become a very important role. Um, we've played a role in, uh, in, in working with the White House on the, on the tax plan uh, this past year. Um, Treasurer Crane led those efforts where we, we had several meetings with the, the President's White House Economic Council, uh, giving our input on what we liked and what we didn't like from a state's perspective on the Tax Act. Uh, and, and, and we are continuing to um, really be a force in a lot of states uh, in, a, in a multitude of issues when it comes to, you know, a good fiscal policy. Yeah. And um, Mike mentioned that you were an assistant treasurer in the state of Kansas. I was. Yes, for five years under- so you come from uh, a place where you know what this is all about. That's right. So, Ron, let's talk a little bit about, describe to the audience, what does the state treasurer, the auditor, the assistant auditor, the the deputy treasurer as grant, what do you do? What are your duties and your daily functions in the life of the the state treasurer? What we like to say is that if you've seen one treasurer's office, you've seen one treasurer's office. But (laughs) there are some typical things that almost all treasurers do. And in my state, I'm the chief financial officer. Of the state. I'm the state's banker, essentially. If you uh, uh, separate the controller from the treasurer's duties and look at them, you'll see that the controller is the accounts payable. He writes the checks to pay the bills for the goods and services that have been rendered to the state, the state's payroll, for example. The state treasurer, on the other hand, is accounts receivable. So every dime that comes into the state's coffers is going to flow through the state treasurer's office. We account for that money and then put it in the bank to cover the checks that have been written by the state controller. And uh, every day we get a printout from the state controller that tells us exactly how many 
uh, warrants or checks that he's issued and what the grand total is. So I know exactly how much cash I have to leave in that bank account. And if there's any money left over, we invest it. And we try to make that money work for us while it's flowing through the state system, earning interest income, because every dime that we earn in interest income is money that the taxpayer doesn't have to come up with. So that's our purpose as far as investing it, is make that money work for us. And uh, it varies from office to office and from state to state uh, a little bit, but those are kind of the basic things that, that we handle. Basically, it's an accounts receivable uh, position for the state. You're state also banker. you're also watchdogs too. You're also you're you know I I heard I I visited with with a number of different treasurers this week and listened to some very interesting stories about auditing the legislature and how they're spending their money. Um, you know, looking at the various programs and how they're functioning, introducing programs that are going to make it more efficient. So there's a lot more to it than just writing the checks, obviously, and and, and oversee it. And so, you, so you're really kind of, in addition to doing the day-to-day functions, you're kind of, you know, the watchdog over the, that, the that taxpayers' money, money. Is that, that not correct? That money belongs to the taxpayers, and we never forget that. And so we're very protective of it. It's not red. It's not blue. It's green. But <laughs> I like that. That's, that's, I like that, Rod. It's, it's not very, red. It's not blue. It's green. It's very important how we manage it and that, and that we protect it and make it uh, work well for the taxpayers. And that's really what you're trying to accomplish. Exactly. Yeah. All right. So before we go to break, Allison, your thoughts uh, uh, on, on how you function in Kentucky, are things a little different there? Uh, or, or let's talk a little bit about that. You're also the new chairperson. but So let's talk a little bit about how things work in Kentucky. Sure. And like Ron seconds. said about being a watchdog, that's something that I've been really uh, hitting a lot in my state. And I actually stopped a check because I felt like it was an illegal payment. So that's one of the core functions in my particular office is making sure if something is illegal, it's stopped. And and so so you are a watchdog. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. That, 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 I think it's important. You know, if you're wondering, folks, you know, why I'm doing this kind of a broadcast and what this is about, it's like I said, it's out of the box. But I'm trying, you know, the idea here is to bring you information that is from, from different parts of, of this country and, and from folks that do different things. And this is an opportunity to educate you about this office in government. Um, how does it work? What does it mean? What do they do? Why are they some of the most trusted people in government? Well, that's what we're exploring today, and that's what we're talking about here on America's Healthcare Advocate today. So we're going to be right back after the break. We're going to uh, talk with Allison Ball, uh, Treasurer for the State of Kentucky, about financial literacy, how they're implementing that into the Medicaid program. We're going to talk to Grant from Arkansas about the 529 program. I listened to him talk about this yesterday. It was fascinating. So stay tuned. We'll be right back after the break. You're listening to America's Healthcare Advocate, broadcasting on the HIA radio network, coast to coast across the USA. Welcome back. You're listening to America's Healthcare Advocate Show, broadcasting coast to coast across the USA. You can find out more about us by going to our website, americashealthcareadvocate.com, americashealthcareadvocate.com. If you've got questions, feel free to send me an email from that website. We'll be happy to get back to you as quickly as we can. Our producer today, Mr. J.P. Polly. I'm your host, Kerry Hall. We're happy to have you on board. Derek, what is the website for State Financial Officers Foundation if folks want to learn more about you? You bet. It's www.statefinancialofficers.org. 
All right, so there it is, folks, statefinancialofficers.org. There's a lot of stuff up there. You might find this very interesting to go up there and see all of what these folks do. Again, as I said going out of the last segment, the idea behind doing these kind of shows is to educate you, to give you information about things you typically wouldn't hear about or wouldn't even know about. And this particular organization and this office in state government, I think, is absolutely fascinating. So with that, Allison, let's talk about some of the things you all are working on. One of the things that you're working on that I think is fascinating is a financial literacy program now, and you're incorporating that into the Medicaid program. So let's talk about that. That's correct. Well, a little bit of background. I think last time you and I were together, uh, we talked about the Medicaid crisis that's going on in Kentucky, and it's really going on all over the country, but it's particularly acute in Kentucky. Uh, I think we have 1.2 million Kentuckians on Medicaid right now, which we're a small state, so that's about 22% of our entire population that's on Medicaid. And uh, we have that high number right now because our previous governor um, was the first to do an expanded Medicaid uh, rollout uh, during the Obamacare um, initial stages. So I think he added about 480,000 people onto the program. Huge number that was added onto it. And he had plenty of money to pay for that, right? <laughs> no. <laughs> and, and that's why. Gee, I can you imagine that? <laughs> and, you know, a lot of people knew that was coming when he did that and they warned him. Uh, but he had a different philosophical standpoint than, than many other people. And he was getting out of office, so he didn't care very much. So now we have a Medicaid crisis in Kentucky, and, and like I said, it's going on all over the country, but it's acute where I'm from. So my current governor is trying to figure out what do you do when you can't pay for this? And uh, so he's been coming up with different possible solutions, and one thing is, is he's, he imposed a, um, a work requirement or an education requirement or pro bono work or something. You've got to be doing something, certain people, to, in order to continue to be eligible for Medicaid. And he actually got a waiver from the Trump administration to do that. It was a real big uh, issue. And it's actually tied up in the courts right now. So it's it's got its own. Of course it is. Of course it is. It's got its own um, situation it's going through. But as part of that, there was talk about adding a financial literacy component to Medicaid. If you want to get back on Medicaid, uh, there's there's health literacy and there's financial literacy. Those are two things that people need to be uh, better equipped in, two areas. So that intersects a lot with my office. We've been talking with the governor's office about, well, how can we step in and help people that fall into this category. And financial literacy is a huge issue for me. I was a bankruptcy attorney before being treasurer. Oh, and you never told me that. I didn't know that. Okay. <laughs> it's one of those things you don't always tell people. But but it, it's true. Yes, I am a lawyer, and yes, I practice bankruptcy law. Well, my daughter's law. a lawyer, so I'll, we'll, we'll give you a pass Okay, good. Okay, I won't tell any lawyer jokes, but anyway. <laughs> well, I've probably heard all of them. You probably have. But because of that experience, and, and I'm from eastern Kentucky, so I'm from a, a rural Appalachian area where there's a lot of poverty and, and practicing bankruptcy law, I really got to see um, just just some needs of people. And, and I became very aware about how people are just not trained financially. You might have some great people, good hearts, hardworking, uh, you know, a lot of good qualities about them, but they're just not trained financially. So from my office, I really wanted to do something to help people in that area. And, you know, I'm a conservative. I try to use our taxpayer dollars the right way. So I've tried to do this with partnering with the private sector and and handling it. So my office has had uh, a real connection right now with this move in, in Medicaid to uh, help people be financially literate. So I've actually created a financial literacy database. It's the first one, I think, uh, from a government perspective in the country. And it provides free resources from the private sector to people that meet certain areas. You know, if you're a student, if you're a senior citizen, if you're a veteran, you know, you fall in different areas. These are resources that are available to you to help you with financial literacy. And so we're making it's all that, in one place. It's all in one place. That's exactly right. Okay. And we're making that available to the governor's administration as he's trying to develop this program for Medicaid. So uh, so this is an area where treasurer's offices and and people that you talk to all the time, the healthcare 
people uh, are intersecting. So things like, I I assume this is things like how to balance a checkbook, how to set up a bank. I mean, I'm sure a lot of the audience is going, what do you mean people don't know how to do this? Well, people, you know, I work with a charity that takes care of homeless women and children. And I will tell you, one of the biggest challenges we have is teaching them, this is what you do with your money. First thing you do is you pay your rent. The second thing you do is you, you know, buy your food, pay your utilities, whatever the case may be. And here's how you set up a checking account and put money in the bank. Because a lot of these folks have never done this. No, they and, haven't. And so, yeah, it's yeah. a big issue. Yeah, so I'll tell you. Um, so like I said, this is a huge issue for me. And I got, I got a bill passed last session to require financial literacy for high school graduation in Kentucky. Because this is a major uh, weak point for students as they're coming out. And my general counsel and I, we met with a group of seniors who were about two weeks away from graduation we were just talking to them about financial literacy, balancing a checkbook, how do you manage interest on credit cards, all these things. And we noticed when we were talking about credit cards, we were getting blank stares from these students. And, and I thought, you know, I better make sure they understand what I'm saying. So I said, you know, can you, you all know what I mean about interest on credit cards? And not a single one of those seniors, not a single one could explain to me how that works in relation to credit cards. And so then we took some time and we explained, we explained it to them. Uh, but that's scary because these kids were two weeks away from graduations. So they were two weeks about about to be adults going out there and they had no awareness on this. And this is actually pretty common throughout the country, not just with students who are about to graduate, but adults who've gotten past that point. Well, you know, they see, they see the, uh, all these commercials and, 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 and you get them on your phones and you, everywhere you go, you know, we'll, we'll give you a credit card for this amount and this amount. What they don't see is 17% interest, 27% interest, I mean, it's kind of like the old payday loan stuff, you know. Oh, it's very similar to that. Yeah, yeah. it is. And and unfortunately, people that are, are having economic issues oftentimes use these things as a lifeline, but they don't realize what they're getting into. That's exactly right. And then it becomes easier to use them, and the next thing you know, the thing is spiraled out of control, and they're trying to figure out, how am I going to pay this thing off? That's exactly right. And the section of the population that's going to be using Medicaid often falls into this uh, category as well. They just, they've not been trained in this area, and uh, we need to be focusing on that. Yeah, that, that that that's very interesting, Grant. I saw you. You know, you, you were you were you were ready to chime in here um, with regard to that particular issue. Any thoughts? Well, no, I, and I just want to emphasize that this is a nationwide issue where we have seen the decline of financial literacy competency within all of our students, and they're getting out here and going into the college world, and they're getting trapped in this notion of. Oh, here, here's that, you know, zero interest when you get that credit card, but then that quickly turns into, like you said, 27, 28%, 29%, and they're having to drop out of college to be able to go and afford this debt that they've uh, encountered. Um, and, and it really is something that a lot of the treasurers are taking on and now making an emphasis, and we're starting to see legislative movement where you're getting the knowledge out there that we've got to start passing this as part of the basic curriculum. So let's get back to the basics when we're looking at uh, our colleges and our high school students, they need to be able to graduate to be effective members of society, whether that's government studies, whether that's financial education, or whether that's your basic arithmetic, reading, writing, and all those basics. Because you cannot take it for granted, no pun intended, Grant, that that that, that they're going to get this in the home because a lot of the homes, as Allison said, especially people in the Medicaid categories, 
they're no more financially literate than, than and, and that that's a huge problem for them. So, all right, when we come back from the break, we're going to continue this conversation. I'm going to ask Grant to talk about a 529 program that they instituted in Arkansas, and then I'm going to out, ask Allison Ball to go back and talk about the ABLE accounts. So stay tuned. We'll be right back after the break. You're listening to America's Healthcare Advocate, broadcasting on the HIA radio network, coast to coast across the USA. Stay tuned. We'll be right back with more. Welcome back. You're listening to America's Healthcare Advocate Show, broadcasting coast to coast across the Fruited Plain here on the HIA Radio Network. You can find out more about us by visiting our website, americashealthcareadvocate.com. If you've got questions, send me an email. We're happy to answer them. If we can help you with anything, we are happy to do that as well. My producer today, Mr. Joshua Polly. I'm your host, Kerry Hall. We're going to continue this conversation with the folks from the State Financial Officers Foundation. This is a group of 26 states that have come together to share ideas and information about how they do what they do and how they can do it better. New ideas, new things that they can implement. This is one of the most trusted offices in state government. Not surprising, right? So this is an opportunity, if you're listening, to educate you as to what they do and They've got resources on their website, which is statefinancialofficersfoundation.org. Did I get that right, Derek? Yes. Good, I didn't screw it up. See that, folks? Statefinancialofficersfoundation.org. That is the website. Um, if you want to go up there and know a little more about them, and they can, you, know, you can link on and go to your state's website and see what they're doing. Um, so, all right, let's continue this conversation. Um, Grant, I, I listened to you yesterday. It was fascinating. I, I got in uh, probably the last half of your of your, of your talk when you were talking about these 529 programs. It was, and, and I, I have both my grandchildren, all three of my grandchildren, I almost messed that up. All three of my grandchildren have 529 accounts. And I just got a text message and a picture from my grandson as we gave him a $500 check that goes into his 529 account. So I think they're phenomenal. Um, I think it's a great way for, 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 you know, uh, families to accumulate money from all members of the family to be able to, to contribute to the, you know, education of the kids. But it was interesting, really interesting listening to you talk about implementing this program in Arkansas and then some of the challenges you had in the process of doing it. So let's talk a little bit about that. Well, first off, let's just set the framework. A 529 is a tax advantage college savings account. And uh, from the federal tax level, you don't, it's non-tax when it goes in and non-tax when it comes out if it's used for eligible expenses. Many of the states have also added uh, a state tax deduction on top of that if you invest in your home state plan. Uh, and Arkansas is one of those uh, that allows a 5000 per individual tax deduction uh, on your state income taxes uh, if you invest in a college savings plan. And what this does is essentially when you look at our culture right now and the, the current economies of higher education, the costs are spiraling out of control. Oh, absolutely. And you're sitting here and the biggest deterrent for someone to actually enter in college and stay there comes down to the cost. So what we do with these programs and, and this 529 account is really say, okay, from at zero, when your child is before they're born or right when they're born, open up an account. You can put as little as $10 a day or $10 a month in and you're going to build up and amass quite a bit over the lifetime of that child before it's time to go to a post-secondary education. The other component of this is it's not just for colleges, universities. You can use it for a two-year institution. You can use it for technical vocational. We need plumbers, electricians, oh, oh, oh. Welders. mechanics, welders yeah. all across this country. 
And these funds can be used in that way as well. Uh, what we found when we came into office, and this is uh, Treasurer Milligan's first term, there was about a 4% awareness around what a 529 is. And so uh, the main mission and focus was, look, let's educate people on this. Let's build up this awareness and let's start talking about how we can afford higher education. Let's quit saying it's too expensive. Let's quit writing our children off and writing this generation off. Let's give them a tool that they really can empower themselves beyond and really be competitive in the, in the market. Yeah, and the, and, the, and the other thing about this, and, and this is one of the things that you see as a, a, deterrent to, a deterrent to a lot of kids wanting to stay in school and finish school, is they go take out these loans and they've got these massive debts when they get out of college. It's like, how the hell am I going to pay this off? Okay, so these programs preempt that and allow them to have a path forward and feel secure that they're going to be able to go to college and be able to afford to go because, you know, the family is contributing through this tax-free program. It's going to make a big difference. Right, and we were just talking about financial literacy in the segment before and, and the whole battle that you've got there, and it's not just the credit cards. It's these loans when you're sitting here as a college student and, you know, you're struggling to make ends meet and somebody comes and says, look, here, here's a loan. Here's $50,000. It's just $50,000. Don't worry about it. You've got 20 years to repay. Let's think about it. 20 years. This is going to be the largest loan that you will probably have next to a mortgage. At an interest rate of 9 10 or 11%, which is another thing people don't realize. And that's where when I graduated, my highest interest rate on any loan that I had was my student loan. It was lo- higher than my mortgage. Yeah. And let's put that into perspective. When you're sitting here and it's higher than buying a house. It's, it's getting out of control, and the industry really needs a check and balance on itself. But again, a dollar worth of prevention is, is worth a ton when it comes to treating the problem. And with these 529 savings accounts, a dollar in is going to save you tens of dollars coming out on the back end. Yeah, and, it, and it, it, it just makes good sense. And, you know, Lauren and I made a decision that, you know, they're not getting, you know, uh, big expensive toys and, 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 and all these other things. And we went to both parents and said, look, this is what we want to do. And our kids were thrilled that we've decided to do this. We've got other family members now because we kind of set the tone. And so the other family members are doing the same thing. Well, and that's the brilliant thing about these. It's just not mom and dad that can take advantage of this. It, it's, and it's not just your grandchildren that you can benefit. You know, you, the neighbor kid next door, anybody, your uncles, aunts, friends, cousins, whatever, they can contribute and help, and you build this culture and this awareness and this education of saving, which is something that we've gotten away from, is we don't <laughs> even understand how to save anymore. Yeah. And, and this is one of those tools that you can start early and start often. Allison, let's switch gears a little bit. Like you, you talked about this the last time we did this broadcast, and this is kind of near and dear to my heart because I've got a niece um, who has a child um, who uh, has Down syndrome. Her name's Piper. They live in St. Louis. Um, and, and we interact with him quite a bit. Um, talk about these ABLE accounts. In fact, I did a show here about a month ago with a Northwestern Mutual Financial Planner, and all she does is work with families across the country that have these children that have special needs, whether it's Downs or whatever it may be. The challenges are enormous. And of course, the big question is, what happens when mom and dad aren't going to be there anymore, and this child is now an adult, um, you know, so let's talk about you, you implemented this program in Kentucky. It was a, a very successful the way you've got it off the ground. What are these ABLE accounts? And, and this kind of ties into the 529 program. Yeah, it definitely ties in. Uh, so <coughs> ABLE accounts are 529A accounts. And the ability to create them was started at the federal level. There were some changes in the federal law that allowed states to be able to 
uh, start these types of programs. So in Kentucky, we have what we call stable Kentucky accounts, but they're just ABLE accounts. And they are savings and investment programs for people with disabilities. And you have to have been determined to have been disabled prior to the age of 26. So it's usually, you know, it's, it's people like you just identified. Uh, but it's a huge thing for them because it allows them to be able to save money without it uh, affecting the benefits that they receive because a lot of these individuals are, are in that position. So they can save money before, if, if you uh, save money past $2,000, uh, you were penalized for doing so. And, and now that's not the case if you're putting money into an ABLE account. Uh, and you can put up to $15,000 a year into an ABLE account without it affecting you, without it penalizing you. And it's not taxed at the federal level. Some states are also making it so it's not taxed at the state level. We just are, we just did that in Kentucky, so it's a huge thing in Kentucky. Uh, so it's a, a major area, and just like Grant was talking about, it's also uh, a way for people to be able to put money into that so family members and friends can do it. Like you said, uh, when you've got kids that you, you're trying to wonder what's going to happen in the future, well, family members can put money into those accounts to sort of give them some stability for the future. So it's actually an important, great thing that a lot of people don't know about. Right. They're, they're not special needs trusts. You know, you don't need an attorney to set it up. Uh, you don't really need accountants to figure these things out. They're very easy to do. Not every state has them yet, uh, but they're growing. We were one of the first. Kentucky was one of the very first to do this. I think there's about 40 states now that have this ability. Uh, but they're a great way for people who have disabilities to be able to save and invest. And and also, there's another change at the federal level. There's now um, able-to-work legislation, which allows you to put your, your income straight into a stable or able account. And uh, you can you can do more than the $15,000. So it's encouraging people to work, which is great, too. Uh, it's allowing them to be able to save, invest, work. Uh, it, it makes a big difference for people that fall into that category. So we're going to come up with a break here shortly, but I want to go back to something really quickly and make sure people understand. In the past, if it, you were actually penalized if you had more than a certain number of dollars because, like my niece's child, they get a lot of benefits from the state because of her down. So quickly visit that issue. Yeah, and if you talk to somebody who falls in this category, they know it immediately. They they live this. They know that they're penalized if they make more than $2,000. They save more than $2,000. If somebody gives Which is them, ridiculous. It's ridiculous. So, like, I, I couldn't give you a, a gift of, you know, $2,001 if you were somebody who falls into this category. Uh, so a great illustration is when I launched this, I had a woman come up to me with tears in her eyes. And uh, she had a disability uh, that she'd been diagnosed before she was 26. And she had a job. So she was, didn't prevent her from working. She had a special van made for her to go back and forth to her place of employment. And the van had broken down. And they told her it was going to cost her more than $2,000 to repair it. And uh, she wasn't going to be able to save that money legally to repair her van. So she came to me and said that this was just a godsend for her because she could save enough money to repair her van to keep working. Yeah, it's remarkable. It's just, you know, it's, so you're listing some common sense solutions here, it, it, what these folks do and how they do it. It's, it's fascinating, isn't it? Amazing what you're learning. We're going to be right back after the break. You're listening to America's Healthcare Advocate, broadcasting here on the HI Radio Network, coast to coast across the USA. When we come back, we're going to talk about elections. You'll find this interesting. Stay tuned. We'll be back with more. Welcome back. You're listening to America's Healthcare Advocate, broadcasting here on the HIA Radio Network. My producer, the always perfect Mr. J.P. Pauly. I'm your host, Carrie Hall. You can find out more about us by going to our website, americashealthcareadvocate.com. 
And the website for the State Financial Officers Foundation is statefinancialofficers.org. I got it right that time, statefinancialofficers.org. So there's a lot of information up there. We're going to talk a little bit about elections here in a minute. If you want to learn about this, go up to the website. There's a ton of stuff up there. Um, it's a great organization. You you know, you just learned about 529 programs. Pretty interesting, huh? Uh, financial literacy, pretty interesting, huh? These folks do some really great work. It's a great opportunity to learn about how some of that works. All right. Having said that, we're in this wonderful season of midterm elections, Derek. That's right. So let's and and on the board outside of uh, on the on the on the boards outside of the conference rooms as we were going to the various events, you had I don't know how many elections listed up there, yeah. but there were a host of them. So let's talk yeah. about how all that's going to play out and how SFOF is involved in those. Absolutely. Um, well, it's really important because uh, oftentimes, you know, in many states. The state treasurer, the state auditor, they're down ballot, right? You know, they're, they're behind the governor, behind the U.S. senator, the congressman, and they're, they're definitely not as, as uh, attractive sometimes as to voters as some of those other big important races. But, but we want to stress how important those races are because what we're already seeing are a lot of these state treasurers and state auditors are eventually moving up into higher positions like members of Congress and to governor um, in fact, that we have potential with some of our current members who are running for governor right now that uh, if, if, if they were all to win, we would have 10% of the nation's governors having come from state financial officers. Wow, I did not know that. That's yeah, pretty... Yeah. So, yeah. It's, I, I mean, so, so we, we just want to encourage people that if you don't know who your state treasurer is or, or you don't know who the state auditor is or who the candidates are that are running for the office, to do your homework... Um, to think about who uh, are the fiscally conservative candidates. We certainly don't endorse because we are a 501c3 educational nonprofit organization. But, but more than half of the state treasurers this year are up for election. Uh, if you do go to our website, uh, www.statefinancialofficers.org, we will have an elections, we have an elections tab uh, where you can see who's running. It just shows you the, the, the names of the candidates um, and tells you if they're an incumbent or not. Uh, we also have a tab on there that says financial officers. And these are individuals that have self-identified as a fiscal conservative and want to be a member of our, of our organization as a state leader. And so um, if you're wondering if your state, you know, if your state treasurer or state auditor is a member, you know, we would encourage you to look at that list. And if they're not on there, to, to call them and ask them why. And, and it'll be a great conversation starter. Yeah, I, and speaking of great conversations, I was at that we had an event at it, uh, in West End at Red Barn. It was a wonderful evening. We were all together. Um, Dayton Moore from the Royals came and spoke to us, but I, I was, I'd gotten there a little early and there were a few people already there. And I, I walked up to this one gentleman who was a treasurer for the state of Washington. I said, wait a minute, you're from yeah, the state yeah, of Washington. Treasurer Dwayne Davidson. Yeah. Dwayne Davidson. I'm like, Dwayne, how does a guy who is a Republican get elected in the state of Washington? And my purpose in telling that story is he told me the whole story about how he got elected. And what's fascinating is he got elected, elected because he is a fiscal conservative yeah. and he got elected by Democrats. Yeah. And I thought that was fascinating. And I think it's interesting, as you said, for people to take a look at this office, you know, you don't vote the straight ticket necessarily. You may want to look at this and go, you know what? This lady or this guy, uh, they look like they really know what they're doing. Absolutely, you know, um, and, and and maybe maybe we should look at putting them in office because they're. This isn't about social issues. Right. This is about fiscal conservancy and balancing the checkbook and the budget. And fr frankly, some of these states where um, you know where where high tax uh, trends have been the norm for decades, you know, tax 
taxpayers are just getting fatigued. Yeah. It, and they're, they're tired. And, and whether they're Democrat or Republican, they're seeing the need for tax reform and for a, a different way because, uh, you know, the big fundamental difference between our organization and others is that we just simply don't believe that the government is the answer to everything. No. Um, we believe in the states. We believe that they're the, the laboratories for democracy in, in, our, in our nation's republic. And, and so we, we just think that, uh, you know, working with the, the private sector and, um, and these candidates that are running, you know, it's just, again, so important for people to do their homework and to, to make sure and get out there and vote for their state treasurer candidate. Grant, let's talk a little bit about openness and transparency because that's a big issue now. Well, and especially when it comes to money. And, and I know people can get lost in just the various uh, bureaucracies and, and the hiddenness of state <laughs> money that, that's going on right now. And, and just for, for an example, we took office from somebody who was doing business and getting uh, kickbacks in pie boxes. True story. Pie boxes. pie boxes delivered to her house with money in it, and, and that's there how the pies invest- in them either. And, and that's how the investments were being managed, and nobody was seeing this. My God! But so what we did was instantly upon coming into office was shine light on this and turn. And all of our investments are on our website right now. You can go and see our entire portfolio. So you that can means see the money for the pension funds. That that in that yeah. we don't handle the pension funds okay. in our office. We're one of those that we sit on the boards and we have the, and we're part of that in that realm, but it's not managed by our office directly. We're, we're like Treasurer Crane here where we handle that excess funds and invest those monies, and we have completely shined the light on that. And that's a great movement that's going on when you're looking at fiscal conservatives. They're not afraid to open up the checkbook. They're not afraid to open up the investment portfolio and let every taxpayer know where their money is going because at the end of the day, it is their money, and every dollar that can be earned is, a le- is one less dollar they should have to pay in taxes. Yeah, which is what Ron said earlier in the broadcast, In Ron. the state of Idaho, for example, next month, the entire state checkbook will go online so that people can actually see how every single dollar is spent. And then you can drill down and figure out who the vendor was and, and how they arrived at that decision. Yeah. That's important for taxpayers. To well, you know, it's, it, and it's so simple and it's so basic. You have yeah. to wonder, why would anybody push back on that? Why wouldn't you want that information to be out there? And, and Carrie, we just awarded a national award for government transparency to Ohio Treasurer Josh Mandel, who has a website called OhioCheckbook.com. And it, exact, it is exactly that. Pa- taxpayers can go and see down to Joe's Pizzeria that some agency, you know, paid for a lunch and, and, and be able to ask, you know, why was this money spent? Yeah. Uh, it's, it's just great for transparency. Yeah. And Missouri has done the same thing recently. They've been, been in the news locally and West Virginia as well. So they're not getting uh, uh, kickbacks delivered in pie boxes. That's, <laughs> that, that's truly one of the more unique stories I've heard, Grant. Thank you all very much for coming in here. I know you're all very busy. You've got planes to catch. Hopefully you're all going to get home safe and sound. Um, with all the, all that's going on with the weather right now, but thank you again Gary, for all being here today. Thank you very much. Great to have you. The website, if you want to learn more about them, statefinancialofficers.org, statefinancialofficers.org. And now I'll leave you with this thought from Dr. Martin Luther King. Americans must learn to live together as brothers and sisters, or we will surely perish together as fools. You're listening to America's Healthcare Advocate broadcasting here on the HIA Radio Network, coast to coast across the USA. Goodbye, America.